This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Please be advised, the following episode contains references to violence and may not be suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Veterans You Should Know, a podcast from iHeartRadio that celebrates the men and women who have honorably answered a call to serve their country in the armed forces. I'm Rob Regal, actor, comedian, and former Marine. Oh, In this special series honoring Veterans Day, I'll be speaking with four incredible veterans as they detail challenges they've faced and how their experiences in military service serve them in their everyday civilian lives. The therapist that I talked to at this vet center, she was very, very good at explaining the science behind PTSD. And so she said, you mentioned to me that you you like to sing and that you were writing songs in your car when you were homeless and doing this and that, right? And she said, you know, you can use that as a form of natural therapy for your depression and your anxiety. For this episode, I'm here with fellow Marine, Elliot McKenzie. Elliot received highly specialized training as part of the Fleet Anti-Terrorism Security Team and Presidential Support Duty. His combat experience during his deployment to Iraq resulted in post-traumatic stress disorder and severe depression. Music has been a new way forward for Elliot. He writes to inspire and uses his songs to communicate his personal experiences, hoping that by sharing his music, he can foster understanding and help others through tough times as well. Welcome, Elliot. Glad you're here. Thanks, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, before we get to your music career, and uh, which is outstanding, and I'm very proud of you. Thank you. I would like to go back, since we are, this is a veterans you should know, we, we, we want to talk, obviously, about your time in the military, your time in the Marine Corps and the Army. How did you find your way to the military? How did your life in the military begin? So... My journey with the military began in 
junior high, actually. Do you remember that famous Marine Corps commercial with the Marine standing on that bridge? With the dragon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yes, I do. <laughs> that commercial is what got me. The few, the proud, the Marines. That commercial is what drew me in and what attracted me to the Marine Corps initially. And then from there, it was just a good fit because I was really physically active. So I was physically fit. I played football. I was in sports. I just, I like to work out myself. So I felt like culturally the Marine Corps was a good fit for me. It's something that can make my family proud. And then also it would buy me some time because I didn't really know myself when I was in high school and junior high. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I hadn't really figured that part out yet. I knew that college probably wasn't really an option. And so I figured, hey, I've wanted to be a Marine since I was in junior high. Let's go into the Marine Corps. And it's a good fit for me, too. So that's kind of what led me to becoming a Marine. That's awesome. Uh, and, and I know what you're talking about. I've had a, I've actually, okay, go back to the first thing, the commercial. I've talked to a couple <laughs> Marines that have said that commercial was one of the reasons <laughs> that, that hooked them in early. So that's so yeah. funny. You say that too. Now you joined, let's go back. Uh, so we get a time frame on this. You joined, uh, we're talking around 2003. So pretty much right at the beginning of the major hostilities. I know we were engaged in Afghanistan 2001, 2002, but 2003 is when Iraq started. And that's about the time you joined. What did your family think about you joining a Marine Corps right at the threshold of what appeared to be some major wars going forward? So <laughs> my mom was not thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> right. But she knew that I wanted to be a Marine from a young age. I had all the Marine Corps moto stuff from the recruiter's office in my room. Even after Iraq and 9-11 happened and we went to war, she knew that wasn't going to prevent me from going in. So she kind of prepared for it and she kind of told me, like, I know this is what you want to do, but I also know that we're in the middle of a war right now that just started. So I'm kind of nervous, but this is your dream. Go get your dream. My mom was very supportive. I was raised by a single mother who was an amazing parent. She adopted myself along with three other kids and gave us lives that we would have never had without her. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm grateful for her to this day. The support was always there from the beginning with a little hesitation because she knew that I was going to be possibly going to Iraq, which I ended up doing. Wow, what an amazing lady to adopt as a single mother and take on the, the challenge of raising. Truly inspirational. I bet she's a very special lady. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And she was probably very worried about her baby, the youngest <laughs> of all. He's going off yeah. to war. That's a big deal. Elliot knew he wanted to be a Marine since the ninth grade, so he enthusiastically signed up as soon as he could. But he still had his senior year of high school to complete. The Marine Corps' delayed entry program, a.k.a. DEP, allowed him to train for an entire year before heading to boot camp. During this time, Elliot learned the expectations of what it meant to be a Marine, allowing him to put his feet in the yellow footprints, a term that signifies the first step of a transition into a United States Marine. All his preparation paid off and Elliot was selected for presidential support duty, an elite team of security forces who are charged with the protection of the President of the United States. 
not your everyday assignments. Before he could go on to such specialized training, he had to complete the second phase after boot camp, SOI, the School of Infantry. So this is where my story in the Marine Corps gets kind of interesting. While I was in recruit training, one of my drill instructors pulls me aside and he's like, you've been selected for this unique job. Go here at this time tomorrow. And I'm like, roger that, sir. I show up and there's other recruits in the room. There's probably about 15 of us. And they basically tell us, you guys have been selected for what's called presidential support duty or Yankee white as some Marines might know it. So the process for that is you go to recruit training, you graduate, you go to SOI. But then after SOI, I went to security forces training because Yankee White is part of security forces. So you have to go into security forces school and become a security Marine before you can go into presidential support duty. So for people at home that might not know security forces, that includes embassy type security duties. It includes guarding nukes with the Navy. Uh, So it's really high profile, uh, a little more advanced uh, security training than, uh, you know, your rank and file Marine would receive by far. Right. So I go to security forces training and then I got orders to the wrong place. Somehow the staff at the security forces school got me orders to a fast platoon. So fast is another element of security forces and it's an acronym and it stands for fleet anti-terrorism security team. And basically in a nutshell, what fast is, it's a Marine Corps SWAT team Mm -hmm. that's trained to go into buildings like embassies and take them back if they've been taken over. Like recently there was the Iraq embassy that was taken over They sent it, I believe it was three fast platoons, to go in there and take it back. That's a lot of specialized training. It is. It it was actually really fun. The training with fast was a lot of fun. And then I got sent to my primary MOS, which was 0311 at Camp Pendleton. And that's when I went to Iraq. In 2005, Elliot was ordered to the 1st Battalion, 5th Marines. Up until that point, his duties had kept him stateside. His new assignment? a combat deployment to Iraq. So what happens? You join 1-5 and you go uh, to Iraq. Holy cow. Um, Can you tell us about that? What was that experience like? Joining 1-5 was unique because like I said, I had been in security forces for a little bit and that was where my experience was. The fleet, as we call it, which is basically all the infantry battalions in the Marine Corps, is different in the fact that the... I guess the level of camaraderie is brought up because those are the battalions that are going to combat in Iraq, Afghanistan, et cetera. So I got there and it was like an instant brotherhood. And I love that about it. I was like brought right in. So I get there in 2005 and early like January 2005. And then we leave for Ramadi in, I think it was March 2005. So two months later, I'm in Ramadi, Iraq, and I'm in combat. It was a very quick turnaround. A very quick turnaround. And as you transition from stateside and and prepping for deployment, and then within the blink of an eye, it feels like, you find yourself uh, walking the streets of Ramadi. And I'm sure that you had some harrowing experiences over there with the insurgents, the terrorists, all kinds kinds of people over there causing hate and discontent, especially during that time frame. When you found yourself on the pointy end of the spear, as they say, and you're, you're out on patrol, what were you thinking? I mean, did you feel like you were ready when you got there? So I have a story for you. So it's kind of funny. So 
the moment that that light bulb went off when I kind of realized that I was like, oh, crap, I'm really in combat. This isn't training anymore. So we get there. And one of the first things I'm thinking is I got to go to the bathroom. So I jump to a porter potty and I'm in this porter potty and I'm doing a number two. Uh And all of a sudden I hear this weird whistling sound. I'm like, what is that? And then all of a sudden I hear boom and a mortar went off. I'm guessing it was probably about 50 yards, maybe less, probably like between 30 and 50 yards away from my porter potty on the base. And the door flew open. The ground started shaking a little bit during the explosion, like the rocks in the, inside the, the porta potty flew up. And I was like, oh, crap. OK, this is real. Like, this isn't training anymore. Like, that was a real explosion. Like, OK. So that was when I kind of like flipped from like, OK, I was in training mode to like, OK, this is actual combat now. Yeah, there's a moment when either a bullet goes by or a mortar hits close by that you realize someone's trying to hurt you. And it's different. It's just different. Um, I assume that you you finished your dump pretty quickly. <laughs> oh yeah, I um <laughs> I pulled my pants up and then I ran straight over to the where, where my platoon was and I was like, "What was that, you guys?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was that Good. was that moment. <laughs> you never want you never want to die on the crapper. <laughs> so, tell us about your missions, if you would, real quick. Uh, you found yourself over there on foot patrols. You said a lot, and and were you? Looking for weapons caches? Were you looking for bad guys? Were you just doing security to make sure your perimeter was safe? Like, what what did you find yourself doing most of the time when you were out there and really exposed? You know, in, in this type of war, as we learned with IEDs, and there is no necessarily front you, everywhere. It's a three sixty battle space, so everywhere you look and turn, there's danger everywhere, which is causes a whole nother level of anxiety. Exactly. So when you're over there. Your radar, as I like to call it, is completely on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Your anxiety is through the roof. Your your level of awareness is super high. So our average day would consist of three, two to three foot patrols. And so the ROE or the rules of engagement over there were that we were not allowed to fire or shoot until we were shot at first. We'd go on a foot patrol and just wait to get shot at. That was how we operated because we couldn't find the enemy until they found us first. If we did, then we'd engage and we'd get into firefights. And if we didn't, then it was just a walk around Ramadi and we came back. And that was probably about 95% of it. The other 5%, we had specific missions, like specific targets that we would go look for, specific people that we would go look for, or we would also do IED sweeps with the army. Wow. So you had a full deployment, a lot of action, a lot of uh, kinetic environment uh, that you had to live in every day. Right. Uh, and being outside the wire, being exposed constantly. When did you decide to that you, you were going to transition back to civilian life? That decision got made probably about six months before I ended up getting out. Stay tuned for more of Elliot's story after the break. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. 
If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back to Veterans You Should Know. So after Ramadi, we went to Okinawa, Japan. One of my Marines who knew that I liked to sing introduced me to a Marine who was stationed in Okinawa, who was a music producer, and he had like a small recording studio set up in his barracks room. And so he was like, you guys should work together. I know you like to sing. He's a producer. Make it happen. And I ended up recording an entire album with this person, along with some other Marines who were rappers. And that kind of like, I guess you could say lit a fire in me to kind of like pursue music. And that's when that really kind of like started. And there was a program at the time where if you got accepted to a college, you could actually get out of the Marine Corps up to six months earlier than your contract states. So I took advantage of that resource. So I ended up getting out of the Marine Corps because of that. So I got accepted to Musicians Institute in Hollywood and I got out three months early. When I got back from Okinawa, I kind of like really decided to pursue music and that's when it happened. So that's awesome because I too chose a life in the Marines and the arts. And so I, I have a great appreciation for what you're describing because that first taste, that first taste of it, because <laughs> I, I was a fan of comedy my whole life, but I never did anything until uh, I did. And then once you do it at first, now I hated it, but then uh, I realized that it was bigger than me and it was a calling almost. As you transition out, that transition is tough for a lot of veterans for multiple reasons, whether it's post-traumatic stress disorder, whether it's actual physical wounds from the battlefield, whether it's just an ability to assimilate back to a civilian world after coming out of such a high-intensity military world. Also, we have a lot of veterans that I've talked to that feel a sense of isolation because there was such a brotherhood, there was such a connection with the people they served with, and then they go back to the civilian world and they can't find that deep connection and they they get isolated. Tell us about your transition. So my transition out of the Marine Corps was extremely difficult. I first started noticing the anger issues immediately when I got out. I got out in 2007. And I think it was a couple months after I got out, I started noticing I was constantly pissed off for no reason at all. 
For example, I'll be walking in a grocery store or something or somewhere where there's a crowded place and somebody would accidentally bump into me or something like that. Them bumping into me would piss me off and make me want to fight that complete stranger for absolutely no reason. So my adrenaline was super high. My anger was super high. My hyper awareness was always on, just like I was back in Ramadi. I was always worried about somebody attacking me from behind, from the left, from the right, from anywhere. So I would always have my head on a swivel. I felt like that switch you turn on when you go to combat, I never turned it back off. It just stayed on forever. And I went to Musicians Institute for a couple of months, but I couldn't really focus and I couldn't really succeed. So I dropped out and I ended up going back home and just kind of like working random jobs here and there. So the transition was really difficult with my mental illness and then just remembering that I was a civilian again. Wow, that uh, that would be incredibly challenging. And I, I know what it's like to uh, stay in a fight or flight mode where you're at peak awareness. And if you stay at that level, uh, when you're constantly in fight or flight, you're at the physiology of your body. It's so hard on your body to be in that state. And mentally, it's hard to be in that state because as you fatigue, you get angry. And then, you know, the slightest, you know, a cool breeze that hits you the wrong way can piss you off. Yeah. And it's inexplicable because you're aware of yourself to a certain degree. You know that that's not right, but you still can't help but want to lash out. So what happened from there? Is this 2008? Are you still struggling with this? So this is still 2007. This is probably late 2007. And I guess it all came to a head when I was at home getting ready for a job. I was working as a security guard at the time. And me and my older brother got into a verbal argument. That verbal argument turned physical. And it was just me, my mom, and my older brother living at home at the time. And this physical altercation was happening in the living room. My mom comes out of her bedroom because she hears all the commotion. And she sees her two big sons physically fighting or about to physically fight in the living room. I grab a kitchen knife and I start brandishing this kitchen knife at my brother saying, I'm going to, I'm going to get you. I'm going to stab you. Leave me the hell alone, blah, blah, blah. And my mom freaks out and she calls the police. So I end up throwing the kitchen knife across the room and just walking out and like, F this, I'm going to go to work. I'm out of here. Bye. And I see my mom on the phone with the police. So I kind of knew they were coming. So I'm walking to work. A sheriff's department vehicle comes up and says, are you Elliot McKenzie? Yes. Put your hands behind your back, et cetera, et cetera. So I get put in handcuffs. They drive me back to the house. And luckily, the sergeant on that call was an army veteran. And he spoke to my mom, spoke to me, kind of got some background about what happened, about my history. And he goes to me, he's like, I'm going to give you two options. Your mom told me that you are a Marine Corps veteran who came back from Iraq and you've been having some anger issues and some things like that since you've been home. I think you might have PTSD and you haven't figured it out yet. So you have two options. One, I can charge you with assault with a deadly weapon for throwing the knife at your brother or... I think you need some help and I can drive you to the VA myself because I'm an army veteran. I understand. And I want to see if the VA can get you some help. So obviously I took the second option. I said, drive me to the VA, see if they can get me some help. So he did that. Wow. And I think that's what ended up kind of like saving my life in a way. One of the, one of the many things that ended up kind of helping me out. So he drove me to the VA. They evaluated me, figured out that I had PTSD and a whole bunch of other issues and when I got released, I called my mom and my brother. I said, hey, I'm released. Can I come back home? They were like, 
eh, we're scared of you now. After what happened, we don't think we can trust that you're not going to do that again. We're kind of worried about your condition. We don't know. So I had nowhere to go. So I ended up just sleeping in my car for like, I want to say a week and a half, almost two weeks. And I didn't know about resources back then. So that's why I didn't think I had any other options. So finally, after the two weeks in my car, I'm like, I got to do something. I can't live in my car forever. I had the number when they released me from that hospital. They gave me phone numbers and said, hey, if you need anything, call us. So they ended up connecting me to a nonprofit organization that has transitional housing for homeless veterans. And I got lucky and I got a spot at one of their transitional housing facilities in Long Beach. And I ended up living in that transitional housing place for about a year and a half. What a blessing, though, that that police officer uh, and former veteran recognized and took the time to ask the right questions to get you some help. God bless, you know, veterans looking out for each other. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's what that sounds like to me. And it gave you, it sounds like, a better option, obviously, <laughs> yeah. in jail. And gave you a chance to maybe understand more about yourself and your situation. Wow, what a journey. That must have been a hard couple of weeks in your car. Yeah, it was. I would have to go to a local park to take showers. There was a park that had a swimming pool that was open to the public. So I'd go there to take showers. I'd sleep in my backseat. I would write songs in my car. When I was having a bad day or when I was having, you know, just I just wanted to get something off my chest. And then I'd play like a beat through the speakers in the car and I'd sing to that beat and I'd write the lyrics on a piece of paper. That was how I spent a good amount of my time every day was just doing that just to kind of get things off my chest. What an amazing way for you in your solitude and in your, you know, uh, moment of pain, but also discovery that you were able to find this creative outlet, this wonderful creative voice inside of you that needed to come out. And by necessity, almost, it did come out. While living at a homeless shelter, Elliot maneuvered from job to job. But his PTSD made it challenging to hold down a steady one for any long stretch of time. He ended up leaving the shelter and moving in with an old high school friend who had an available couch. That couch was Elliot's bed for a year until he eventually moved back in with his family. He also discovered the post 9-11 GI Bill, a benefit to honorably discharged veterans to pursue higher education. After three years of attending junior college and trying to get his life back on track, Elliot's depression and PTSD overwhelmed his studies and he dropped out. But it was a turning point for Elliot. And he realized that after five years of living with these feelings after leaving the Marine Corps, it was time to get help. So... I got lucky in the fact that the therapist that I talked to at this vet center, she was a former Marine. She was a sergeant in the Marine Corps herself. And she was very, very good at explaining the science behind PTSD. Basically, it came down to this. She was like, give me the laundry list of symptoms that you're experiencing and tell me about what you experienced in Ramadi. And she said, I'm going to break down each of these symptoms for you, explain why you're doing them explain the science behind how they're happening in your brain and then connect them to what you experienced in Ramadi. And that's when the light bulb kind of went off for me because she explained why I was doing what I was doing. And so she said, 
you mentioned to me that you you like to sing and that you were writing songs in your car when you were homeless and doing this and that, right? And I was like, yeah, music's been a big part of my life since I was young. And she said, you know, you can use that as a form of natural therapy for your depression and your anxiety. She explained the science behind adrenaline and endorphins and how performing on stage, you release endorphins in your brain. And she taught me about how endorphins are the natural fighter of depression specifically and anxiety. When I'm performing or when I'm writing songs and I'm singing, I'm not depressed anymore. I'm I'm feeling good. I'm I'm getting that out of me. It's like flushing the toxic energy out of your system. Absolutely. She was like, you can use that. She's like, go songwrite, sing, try to get booked to perform, record music. Use that as a natural way to combat what you're going through. And so I took that information and I just ran with it. I started writing my butt off. I started marketing. I started reaching out to people in the music industry, telling them about myself, started performing in LA and all of SoCal. And it was working. That's what started my positive progress. And that's what started saving my life. Fast forward two years, 2015 comes around and I feel like I'm better enough to go back into college. So I re-enrolled in college, the same college that I had just dropped out of two years earlier. 2016 comes and I ended up graduating with my associate's degree in liberal arts with an emphasis in behavioral science. And I ended up going from failing grades to nothing but straight A's and straight B's. And I graduated on the dean's list. And it was amazing transition. That's a total transition. Right. So it was like day and night. Like I was super depressed, super failing. And then I ended up using the music to turn my life around. And I went from F's to A's and B's. And I transferred to a university and same thing there, got nothing but straight A's and straight B's. And I ended up graduating with my bachelor's degree in 2018 in behavioral science. That's fantastic. Wow. What a journey. Thanks, brother. What a journey and a triumphant one too, in my opinion, to go through all of that, to hit those lows and then come back and hit those highs. I think it was Booker T. Washington who said, you judge a man's accomplishments by the obstacles he had to overcome to get there. And so, you know, if we use that as our gauge, you have overcome so much. So what you've achieved is truly, truly remarkable. Thank you. What is your advice to veterans that are, one, young people that are thinking about joining the military, and two, those who are leaving the military to uh, pursue a life, whether it's in the arts or just leaving the military to go on to civilian life? So the high school students who want to join the military and to their parents, I would say this. There are a lot of students who are thinking about college as an option. The post 9-11 GI Bill is an amazing resource to tackle that and not be in debt. I have three degrees now, my associate's degree that I got, my bachelor's, then I also went back and got a certificate in peer mentorship. I'm zero dollars in debt because of that. So you've got two paths you can take. High school, straight to college, you got to pay for it on your own, right? Now you're in debt thousands of dollars after you've got your bachelor's degree or your master's degree or whatever degree you end up with. Or join the military for four or five years, get an honorable discharge, take advantage of the resource that's there, the post 9-11 GI Bill. Now your education is paid for and you get a paycheck on top of that. School is your job so you can focus on the school and you can do really well. And then there's a ton of resources when you get out that you can utilize to make sure that your life is successful, including the GI Bill amongst many others. And then the advice that I would give to veterans who wanna get out and go into the arts, 
The way that it happened for me was completely natural and completely unexpected. After all that happened in 2017, I wanted to write a song telling people about the combat and the PTSD experience for us combat veterans. And so I wrote a song called Gunshots and I did a music video for that song, which is on YouTube. And that's when it happened for me. I wasn't doing that song and and that music video in hopes like, oh, I want to become famous. No, I was doing it because I was like, I wanted to use it as therapy for myself and then educate the general population about what combat veterans go through. And that music video ended up exploding pretty much. And that's what put me on the map. So I would say do it for a reason that's really close to your heart that doesn't include fame or money it's just something that you care about like a cause that you care about some maybe a story that you want to tell through whatever art you do and i'm now in a position where i'm blessed to be able to inspire people worldwide through my story and my music my inspiration now is my fans so good i'm trying to inspire and motivate as many people as i can good keep it up because it it means a lot not to be overly dramatic, but you're saving lives every day. Somebody's going to hear that message right when they need to hear it. Trust me. Yeah, I actually have. So these, t- I have tattoos on my arm. So this is a quote from a fan who's a veteran, an army veteran. And it says, just heard your new album. It saved my life. This was a comment that I got on my YouTube. And then this one is actually a message that I got on Facebook from another army veteran fan. And they're basically veterans who were suicidal. And they listened to my album, my first one therapy session, and they decided not to kill themselves. That was one of those moments when I realized this is my purpose. Yeah. This is what yeah. I'm here for. I meant to try to save lives through my platform. That's fantastic. We'll keep doing it because it's working clearly. Thanks, brother. What's coming down the road? What can we look forward to? Because I'm really excited to, to hear what projects you got going. And then the last thing is you've got this audience. You've got a chance to, to give them one nugget of wisdom that they can put in their pocket and say, wow. I'm probably going to carry that around for the rest of my life. So my album came out earlier this year. Therapy Session came out in March, and that's 16 songs of beautiful music. I like to call it a mix of R&B music and inspirational songs with the purpose of inspiring people to get through those hurdles that they might be going through, whether they're veterans or not. My next single is called Be You. And it's releasing on October 12th. And it's a song that's inspiring people to be themselves, to discover who they are at their core and be proud of that. So this single is going to be part of my next project. I'm, and I'm going to call it Follow Up. And then I'm working with veteran television right now on A Grunt's Life Season 2. I was in A Grunt's Life Season 1, one of the principal characters. And so I'm just working my butt off, just trying to be successful. And then the advice that I would give to veterans... Honestly, the thing that's really changed my life most recently is coming to terms with who I am as an adult, as a person, as a man, as a veteran, as a recording artist. I've had a tough time over the years of accepting who I am and really just learning about me. Because as you know, in the, in the Marine Corps specifically, it's all about your brother and your sister to your left and your right. It's not about self. When you get to a point where you know yourself, you know what your purpose in the world is, and you know what truly makes you, you, and makes you happy, nothing can bother you and nothing will ever get to the point where you're getting like stressed out or anything like that because you're always happy because you know your life's purpose. 
I couldn't agree more. I, I could not agree more. I know thyself is, is one of my, exactly. uh, I even have a, a, a necklace on it says know thyself. So uh, yeah. uh, I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly because I think once you do know yourself and all the ways you just described, you start going with the grain instead of against it. And life gets so much easier and it gets so much more joyful. Yes. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your your journey and for sharing your journey and being so open and honest with us today and your inspiration through your music. And what a joy to meet you today. Uh, I assume everybody can Google you, Elliot McKenzie. They can also uh, find you on social media. I have no doubt. Uh, people, I hope you say start looking for your album, start looking for follow-up when that's ready. Uh, it's all very exciting. I think we're going to hear a lot more from you. We need more Marines out here uh, uh, filling up the airwaves and the and the silver screen. So that's the plan. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you for being here and joining us. Really appreciate it. It was an honor to meet you today. Hey, thank you, brother. Thank you for your service, too. Absolutely, man. Hey, a big thank you to Elliot McKenzie for sharing his story of service. Congratulations on your release uh, of the new single, Be You, and working on your second album. I'm very excited to see the music and content you create in the future. I know everybody else is, and I have no doubt that you will be changing people's lives with your gift. Thanks for listening to Veterans You Should Know. To hear more inspiring stories of perseverance and camaraderie, check out all our episodes, including those from season one featuring veterans who have overcome incredible obstacles and found renewed purpose in their civilian lives. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the podcast. We would love to hear from you. You can listen to the show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Veterans You Should Know is a special four-part series from iHeartRadio and hosted by me, Rob Riggle. Our show is written and produced by Molly Socha, Nakia Swinton, and Jackie Perez, with assistance from Quincy Fuller. The show is edited, sound designed, and mixed by James Foster and Matt Stillam.